going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, so middle of the Bible, go to the right, uh, before Revelation. That's all I got. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be there, and we're actually going to read a portion of Scripture before we start to jump into the text, so we'll, we'll know what it's about at the beginning, and then we'll go from uh, reading it, so we'll read a verse, talk a little, read a verse, talk a little, and then we'll get to even, or we'll actually go to lunch, so that'd be amazing. So, all right, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 15. Hey, Stephen, can you shut those doors? Because my ADD is going crazy because I keep seeing people walk by. And All right. So Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 15 through 23. If you found it, I'm not going to have it up here, but if you found it, would you stand with me as we read God's word? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Paul says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe." That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So if you were here last week, we talked about predestination. That was good times. And it was heady. It was freeing. It was offensive. And it was also logical, but also illogical all at the same time. But my hope is that you understand that when we read Scripture and we explain the Bible, those things are far superior than our feelings or how we want to do things. Because God's inherent word supersedes our opinions and our preferences. And it's okay to disagree with what was taught, but don't fool yourself in arguing against God's word without actually using God's word. Today we're going to study the thought right after this long run-on sentence that Paul explains in, the, in what we taught last week in verses 1 through 14. And last week we heard about election, we heard about redemption, and we heard about inheritance and Paul is now praying that we would have the wisdom to understand what was written and for us to understand our position that can be found in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 is where we're going to be. That's where we're going to start. And we're going to be in this verse for a little while. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, this verse, these few words have been what have been ruminating in my mind all week. I spent a lot of time just looking at this verse because Paul is starting a declaration of those who have their position in Christ and what their practice is. But did you catch what it is? He heard about their faith and their love towards God's people. I can't think of a better litmus test than that when it comes to being a Christian. And remember what Ephesians is about. We've said this the past two weeks. Ephesians is about who we are and what we do. So my hope for today's message is that we would practice our position, 
that we would practice our position found in Christ. And so if you're taking notes, there is a test at the end. There's small groups that you're going to discuss a lot of this stuff during the week. If you've signed up for one, I'd encourage you to write that down. My prayer is that we would practice our position in Christ. And that practice would no longer be out of a misunderstanding of our position and status in Jesus. See, I have this fear of preaching. In fact, I have a fear of anyone's preaching, but especially my own, that I would miss preaching identity in Christ as the point, or the position and status which we have because we're found in Christ if we've repented and trusted Jesus as our sole means of salvation. And so as preaching, it would be really easy to attempt to have people try really hard to do things they can't do apart from Jesus. I can stand up here, I can tell stories, I can explain the text and tell you what you should or shouldn't do, but without finding your identity first in Christ, you'll be attempting to fix yourself rather than practicing your position. There are two ways of attempting to get someone to do something spiritually through preaching that are way less productive than we think. Here's the first one. I can get up here every week and give a pep talk and pull on your emotional heartstrings. But without pointing you to your identity, your status, and your position in Christ, even if you did what I taught from Scripture that you should or shouldn't do, doesn't actually mean it'll have any spiritual effect on you. Doing spiritual things without being spiritual is a lot of investment without much return. And what I mean by that is often when we think about being spiritual, I meet people all the time that think they're spiritual. They have, they have different uh, uh, types of ways of thinking they're spiritual because of things that they've heard from other people. But ultimately, we were created to know our God personally. And when we don't know him, when we don't trust him, we, may, we are spiritually dead. So I can get up here and give you a pep talk every single week and see moral reform take place with the wrong attitude. It probably won't last for very long or really make a lick of difference in the long run. Or then there's the other extreme when preaching, to give a message that makes you feel guilty for not doing good enough, which is stupid because none of us do good enough. Only Jesus is perfect. Only Jesus has done good enough, if you will. And really, the goal should always be to be found in him before what we do. So if I teach a guilt trip, you will worry more and more about if you're doing enough or if you've done enough. So you will never find your security in your identity in Christ if the message is that we should always just do better. There's a third way of teaching God's word, and this is what I hope to emphasize every single week. I can't promise I will, but I want to. It is to point you towards your identity in Christ, your status before God, your position made possible through Jesus. And it's when we rest in this truth that we have the ability and possibility to actually do the things that the Lord has for us to do. And through our faith and our love for others, to not just justify us, but because we are justified, we get to make much of Jesus, church. So hear me, there was no more important moment in your life than when you realized that you were a son or daughter of God's. Some of you go, yeah, amen, but have you realized that? If you've trusted Jesus, if you've made him the Lord of your life, there is no more important moment than when you realize you are a son or daughter of the king, that you are a disciple of Jesus, that you are a person created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God laid out beforehand for you to do. More on that next week. So our identity is the most important result of Christ's work in our lives. You guys get that? 
that our identity is the most important result of Christ's work in our lives. You can see yourself as many things, but unless Christ is at the center, you've missed the point of being a Christian. I was meeting with a young man this week, and he asked me this simplistic question, how can you know what someone's identity is in, or how can you know, another way to put it is, who their God is? And I said, it's actually easy. It's about what they talk about most. So think about that for yourself. What do you currently talk about most? Often we don't think it's that subtle, but if we really start to think about what we do with our lives, it actually is that subtle. What is the thing that we devote most of our relational communication to? It's probably our God. And unfortunately, for some of us, we're going to start to defend ourselves, aren't we? We already feel kind of that twinge to defend ourselves because we think that what I'm talking about is evangelism, about going out and sharing your faith. But this is not about evangelism. This is about identity. See, before I am the pastor of Church of the Valley, before I am a husband to Aaron Riley, before I am a father to Reagan, Lorelei, Evangeline, and Boston, before I am Mike or Alona's son, before I am a Red Sox fan, let me let that sit for a second, before I'm a Santa Clarian, a Netflix subscriber, before I have a political affiliation, church, I am a child of God. And if I keep that to myself, if that declaration does nothing to change me or help me practice what it means to be a child of God, then I may just have a placebo faith that requires nothing of me. Identity comes up in scripture and teaching more than we realize because it is essentially the position in Christ that we need to point other people to when it comes to evangelism. See, we can evangelize and share our story, and we can share the history of what Jesus has done, lived, died, rose again. We can share all of that, but if someone doesn't find their identity in Christ, it's in vain. I had a close friend come to me this week because his teenager was starting to find her identity in her sexuality. And you can figure out what I mean by that, because to be totally honest, and you need to hear this, if you find your identity in your sexuality, hetero or homo, it doesn't matter. Because both are lost when it comes to Christ, because we do not find our identity in anything other than Jesus. So hear me, if someone gets their identity from something that is not Jesus Christ, they are lost. See, you can claim you're a Christian. You can do all the Christian things. You can practice morals. You can be as clean as they come. You can even like Captain America. You can do all of that. But it, it is not self-righteous people who inherit the kingdom of God. It is those who have been made righteous through the work of Jesus that have found their position fully in Christ. Often we make good things God things, don't we? And they cannot handle being what we put our identity in or get our identity from. All right, that was one verse. Let's keep going. Verse 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul is saying that he loves and actually prays for those that are identified by their faith and their love for God's people. Let me just ask you this question. When was the last time you gave thanks to God for God's people? When was the last time you thought about God's people in a really exciting, man, I get to go be with my brothers and sisters on Sunday. I get to be in the small group and hang out with my brothers and sisters. I'm so grateful for Jesus' people. 
We're so quick to judge or be offended by brothers and sisters in the faith, even how they took the message from last week. It's easy to go, no, I like this or I don't like that. And it is so easy for an outside world looking in to throw penalty flags up against Christ's church and those who make up the church because we tend to not even exhibit love for one another. Hmm. You know what my least favorite sound on earth is? Some of you have heard me say this before. It is my children fighting. There's like this Old Testament wrath that wants to come out of me when I hear my children fighting. It is so frustrating to hear them fighting, disrespecting each other, not loving one another. It drives me absolutely insane. I, I got to confess this. I haven't been a good parent this week. I just haven't. I've been pretty impatient with my kids. I've yelled at my kids when I haven't needed to. And I've mostly been frustrated with their lack of respect for one another. It was a busy week. It's been a busy few months as we've switched houses. They've switched schools. We've switched churches. I've switched jobs. And I think my kids are just tired of all the change. And yet, what I see in my house are these kids that are disrespecting each other. They're frustrated with one another. And so, if you think your pastor is perfect or the perfect dad, good luck. Go hang out with someone who claims they're perfect. <laughs> um, but you know what the greatest sound on earth is? When my kids love one another. Oh, there's nothing that's better than that. And so my least favorite sound is when my kids fight. And I've got to assume that the heart of the father is similar. Now, I have my own baggage. I'm not perfect like our Heavenly Father. So don't take that as to say, like, we're like God in that sense. But man, when his children fight, it's got to upset him. But when his kids get together and love one another, that's got to bless him. Verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. If you underline in your Bible, underline wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Paul was praying, this is a little wordy, but hear this. Paul was praying that believers will have the disposition of a godly knowledge and the insight of which the sanctified mind, the spiritually growing mind is capable so as to grasp the greatness of the hope and the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. When you grasp the importance of who you are in Christ, you start to realize that God has given you in him all that you need. James, half-brother of Jesus, same mom, different dad. You guys get that, I hope. He says in his book, if we lack wisdom, we should ask for it. And yet too often we in the church are asking for things that in Christ we already have abundance of. We ask the Lord for strength, and yet he's given us strength. We ask him for peace, and he's given us peace. He gives us a way out. He gives us his word. He gives us his spirit, and he gives us himself, and yet we are constantly spending time asking for things that because of our position in Christ, we already have in abundance. So wisdom can be seen, this word that's used in this text, it can be seen as two different things. Wisdom can be used as expertise in something. I want to be an expert in something, but I believe the emphasis in this word, as Paul was talking to the church in Ephesus, was about a deeper understanding through personal experience. 
Isn't that the wisdom that we want? Because we want to experience God and not just have feelings of him. Man, if you're, if you're under 40 right now, that, that generation below, we care so much about feelings. But we want to have a personal experience with God, not because the room feels full or the music's really awesome or a bass kind of fills in the sound as we worship, but we want to experience God because we're spending time with him and we're reading his word and we're doing what he actually says. Church of the Valley, I want you to get with Jesus. I can't stress that enough. I want you to get with Jesus. If you have to put it in your calendar and your phone and just put Jesus, then do it. But get with Jesus. My staff this week, as we met, I, we always kind of do, I guess, a devotional. I always bring up a text, and we discuss it and talk about it, and then we talk about our takeaways from Sunday morning. But one of the, the passage I brought up this week was Psalm 4610. Is that right? Yeah. Be still and know that I am God. And many of us have heard this, and if you look at the context, there's all this crazy stuff happening, and, and the Lord says through the psalmist, be still, cease from striving. But the word is not just stop moving, it's to sink into. So imagine you had to go run a marathon this week, 26.2 miles, this week, no training, good luck. And you go and you run this marathon, and somehow at the end you finish and you're hurting. Are you going to sit on your couch? Are you going to sink into your couch? That's what it means to be still and know that he is God. We sink into him. We get with him. And the time we get with him cannot be for an hour and 30 minutes in this building. This is to prepare you to leave these walls to go make much of Jesus. So please get with Jesus. We need to start to set up the time to meet with him, not just once a week, not just daily, but moment by moment. But why does Paul ask God for more wisdom and revelation for the church? It says, so we would know him better. Oh, Paul. My, my prayer for this church is that we would know him better. Not just know more about him. Not just know him ethereally out here. But to know him personally. To be in his presence. To worship at his feet. To meditate on his scripture. You know that the New Age version of meditation is to, to release your mind of anything. But biblical meditation is to fill your mind with God's truth. We need to allow God's truth to ruminate in our heads because it'll help us understand the heart of the Father more and more. So I have this question for you. Do you have knowledge of God that passes simplistic information? Do you have knowledge of God that passes simplistic information? Do you know a lot about God or do you know God? Do you yearn to know him more or are you totally satisfied to regurgitate information that you haven't actually applied or obeyed? People all the time talk about how often they read through the Bible. Oh, I've read through the Bible this many times. Okay, cool. Good for you. But God is not impressed by your information retention. He is pleased by your obedience lived out by faith as you read. I was reminded of this quote. Not sure of the author, but it was uh, written by someone, so pretend I said it. Uh, The American church is educated past their ability to be obedient. We got so much information. We got so much stuff that's been given to us. But are we actually obeying what he says? I know obey. We don't like that word. We'll put it on a hat, but we don't want to use it. We don't want to do it. Verse 18. I pray, Paul says, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. 
that the eyes of your heart would be opened or enlightened more to the hope that he has called you, church. Do you understand that if you were predestined, there's that word, you were predestined to something. It was to live in the hope that is available in Christ, that you can practice your position because you're found in Christ. So how do you do that? If you take notes, here's, here's my biggest takeaway from my own sermon, for whatever it's worth. How do you do that? You find your identity in Christ. You live by faith, and you love God's people. Oh, that's easy. No. And it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. So don't forget that. But all of that is found, it, all of that is possible, but only if you understand your position in Christ. See, we're going to teach theology. We're going to study the Word of God. We're going to teach doctrine. But it, it is not to give us a degree or pride because of all that we know. But it's to set the stage for spiritual growth. Because the, the more that you know, the more you can apply. The more that you can obey. And the more that you apply, the more opportunity by faith you have to grow more into the likeness of Jesus. Some of you were a part of Compelled Together as we were this church plant that eventually ended up here, and, and God's used us to bring different generations together, and it's exciting. But can we be honest? It's not easy. But I will be damned. I think I can say that in this room. It's in Scripture. So yeah, ha. Um, there's other stuff I could say from Scripture, but that'll be next week. So I will not allow us to vacate the vision of growing more into the likeness of Jesus. We can pat ourselves on the back and all these pews can be full and up there can be full and we can go to three services, but if we're not doing it to see Jesus made much of and to see the, the remnants of his spirit working in his people to grow more into his likeness, it's worthless. I don't want to be the biggest church in the Bay Area at all. That's way too much work. No, no, no. I want to be a faithful church in the Bay Area. And don't, and don't miss that. Verse 19 and 20, he goes on and he says, and his incomparably great power. Say power. For us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. His incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you believe Jesus, church? Because if you do, you've been granted power. And this word power, the specific word in Greek means ability. It also means abundance. It means miracle. And it is through what God gives us that we have the ability to be image bearers who bring good news. And in abundance, we have the ability to see miracles happen. So if you have your Bibles, if they're open or not, I'm going to ask you to take a field trip. We're going to go back to Ephesians 1 in a sec, but I want you to go with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's not going to be up here. Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, we see, the, we see the doctor, Luke. We see him writing about the actions of the apostles. And it is a pretty popular verse. Many of us know it. We've heard it preached. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I just want you to see this power and what this power does. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, But you will receive power. Say power. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, you will receive power, church. That power's already come. You're not waiting for anything. 
He's already come, and if you've trusted Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in you, and he has a power to have you do things that you never thought you could do, like live by faith and love God's people. But it says that you will be, once the Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. What does a witness do? They testify, right? That's what a witness does. And they testify to what they've seen, and they testify to what they know, and they tell others of what they've experienced. You know why? Because we're witnesses. And you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, in all of Santa Clara, in all of Judea, in all of Santa Clara County, in all of Samaria, to the, to the East Bay, in the North Bay, and to the ends of the earth, he says. <sighs> Do you want to know what the biggest miracle there is in today's church? Do you want to know what the biggest miracle there is? Now, some of you are like, yeah, perk it up like arms growing back? No. You want to know what the biggest miracle is? When a dead man comes to life. And you're like, oh, we're we talking about resurrection? Kind of. We're talking about someone who was dead in their trespasses, dead in their sins, had no hope for anything spiritually, who by God's power resurrects them, rejuvenates them, changes them, transforms them more into the likeness of Jesus. There is no greater miracle. And you know that barbecue-looking baptistry out there? That thing ought to be filled one day. And people should be going underneath water, just not because we just want to give people baths, that's weird, but because people are testifying that Christ is Lord that they have found their position in Jesus Christ. And because of their position, because of them being willing to say, yes, I'm about Jesus, I'm going to go underneath water, I'm going to come out of the water as symbol that I have trusted the Lord, and I'm going to use that as an evangelistic message to allow others to know that he is God. So could I encourage you to stop praying for power that you already have in the Holy Spirit? When the incomparable power that has been given to you, it has no equal. He lives inside of you because of your position in Christ. So Christian, let me ask you a question that may or may not make sense to you. If your position is holy because you're found in Christ, but your practice is less than pure and righteous, are you becoming what you are? Are you becoming what you are? Are you becoming who you are in Christ? See, we are holy. If you are a Christian, you are holy in position. But here's the part where you can't have any pride. You did nothing to earn that. God gave it to you in grace. But we are holy in position. We are set apart. We are part of God's church. We are made righteous by God's giving us his right standing before him because of what Christ has done through the cross and through the resurrection. But you and I, our practice, it's still behind our position of doing what God would have us to do. None of us are perfect. All of us are being transformed more into the likeness if we've trusted Jesus. But you want to know why our practice is behind our position? I'm going to step on some toes. You want to know why? It got your attention? You want to know why? Okay, here's why. Because I think the church is way too satisfied with just being justified. All I have to do is walk down an aisle. All I have to do is pray a prayer. All I have to do is go underneath water and come back out, hopefully. All I have to do are these things, and that makes me a Christian. So when you hear that we need to give our lives to Jesus, that we need to yield our heart and repent and make Jesus Lord, 
we focus on the all that we have to do and we don't focus on the repentance. We think about the absolute minimum we have to do in order to be a Christian. A good friend of mine said, Tim, I've never met a pastor that has such a high expectation for Christians. And I talked to my wife about that. My wife was like, well, you didn't grow up in the church. You didn't see a lot of people writing pews to hell. And when I read the text, guys, not perfectly, don't hear perfection. But when I read the text, I see people that are willing to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him. At least be yielded to do that to not make things about them, not to make the church about them, not to make Christianity about them, because hear me, it's not about you. It's about him. I don't want us to be spiritually stagnant, and I'm convinced through scripture and personal experience that we need to be ferocious about taking the word that we hear and applying it to our lives. And if we do, we'll grow more into the likeness of Jesus which means we'll grow in love, we'll grow in peace, we'll grow in patience, we'll grow in self-control, we'll grow in kindness. Don't you want those things? If anyone came to you and said, hey, would you like to grow in love? Would you like to grow in peace? Would you like to grow in self-control? Nah, that sucks. Nope, no way. But this is what the Lord offers us in Christ Jesus. And if we would be willing to obey what we hear, through God's word, not what your pastor says, what the word of God says, our practice will start to catch up with our position. Let me take you back to verse 19 as we read up to 21. It says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul is making the case that Jesus, the great I am, King Jesus King, has dominion and power and reign over all other names, over all other people, even people in the word of God. When we open this book, church, Jesus is the point. I don't care if you're in Numbers, Ezekiel, Hebrews, you're in the contents. It's about Jesus. Before Adam, Jesus. Before Noah, Jesus. Before Abraham, Jesus. Before Moses, Jesus. Before Joshua, Jesus. Even before King David, Jesus. Verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul is quoting the Psalms in chapter 8, verse 6, and making known that it's all about Jesus, church. It's all about Jesus. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss that Jesus is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. All things in and under earth are under Jesus' control. You exist in this moment because Jesus willed it. And I promise you, you will hear the name of Jesus more than any other word we will use at this church. Because it's about Jesus.
Jesus is over his church. Jesus is the lead pastor of this church. He is the trustees director. He sits on every board and committee. We don't do things apart from his will, and we cannot outvote him. Jesus is the head. He is the cornerstone, the great I am, the lead shepherd, the lead preacher, the lead worship leader, the lead deacon. Christ is over this place like no man, woman, or child, and we don't get to vote against him or do things apart from him or attempt to leave him out. Jesus is over this church, and so when we do things that are apart from his word, we have to reassess ourselves, not his word. But he said, the text says that he is the head of the church, so we have to get clear on who the church is. His church is the group of redeemed individuals. Not a group of individuals, but a group of redeemed individuals. And those are the people that make up the church. And here's the great thing about this. It's every tongue. It's every tribe. It's every skin color. It's every political background. It's every type of person that identifies with the cross, the resurrection, and redemption in Christ alone through faith alone. And Jesus is the head. Jesus is not the mascot. He is the patriarch. He is not a leader, but the leader. He is not a God, but the God. And don't you make any mistake. We at Church of the Valley are going to make things about Jesus every chance that we get. I think we're far too enamored in the Bay Area with finding cheap fixes to our problems and not looking to the source of our redemption in the text. I promise as your pastor to preach what this says, to study it and to teach what it says, and I promise you it won't always be popular, but I can guarantee if you would do what it says, it would be sanctifying for you. See, I have this prayer for us that we would be known for our faith and the way that we love God's people, church, in these walls and outside these walls. But we can only do this if we understand our position of Christ. So here's my question for you. Are you a follower of Jesus? Not have you followed him, but do you follow him? So often we look back to what we used to do. Do we currently follow him. And does your position in Christ, if you've said yes to the Lord and you've followed him and you've trusted him, does your position in your practice line up? And then simplistically, are you becoming who you are in Christ? For some of us, we haven't made a commitment to Jesus. I get it. A lot of times we want to know everything about something before we make a commitment, but here's the crazy thing about knowing Jesus. Once you meet him, once you commit your life to him, he's always going to be surprising you with new things. He's always going to be surprising you through his word, but I can promise you that if you would grow to look more like Jesus by trusting him, you will grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And if you don't, it's because you trusted a placebo Jesus. Real talk. We're going to start now. Real talk. Uh, for those of you who have been attending this church for a while, we've made a bunch of changes that I believe, as your pastor, were necessary. They definitely weren't always popular, but they were necessary. And here's the crazy thing. We've grown numerically. Okay, I'm not saying that to pat any of it. Nope, we've grown numerically. These are just facts. We have grown numerically, and we've grown uh, financially. 
But both should always be symptoms of God's growth in his people, not the point. We can't pat ourselves on the back no matter how many people start to attend the church. We can't start to get really excited just because a lot of people are here because if we're not focused on seeing people grow more in the likeness of Jesus, it is in vain. (sighs) That's why we have new community groups. We started last week. We're starting some this week. Is it going to be perfect? No. Are people going to get on your nerves? You better believe it. But none of us grow in a vacuum. None of us grow by ourselves. We must be rubbing rubbing up and against one another in God's church. Yesterday's Art and Wine Festival, we got to have a booth. It was awesome. And I'm so proud of Kevin Chang and the way that he ran with it and he managed it, and he oversaw what happened. We had close to 40 Church of the Valley people there serving in some capacity and came to hang out with us. And many people came by the booth, and we got to tell them who we were. And I was so proud of you, many of us, being willing to connect with people who are in the community. I was so proud of my wife, who built a relationship with a mom and dad who were playing with our kids right before I got there, and then introduced me to them, and then we ended up talking for a while. That's not what my wife likes to do, but she did a great job. And this sounds weird, but yesterday was a phenomenal success in my mind, but let me tell you one of the main reasons I think it was, because I didn't have to do anything. Like, wow, pastor, you're lazy. No. One thing I would say about me is I'm not lazy. But Kevin ran with it, and he led it, and many of you said, hey, we want to serve, and we want to connect, and we want to do these things, and it was a huge success because it wasn't based on one man. Here's the thing. The Lord Jesus is the head of this church, and I'm the under-shepherd underneath him, and i got to be real with you. So if you're visiting, sorry, but this is what I do. This job is hard. A meeting I just had was hard. It's hard to disappoint people. And I guarantee that each week I'll disappoint somebody. It's hard to prepare messages from God's word each week that are biblical and are strong. It's hard to learn all the ropes of how things are done in this place and have to trust that prayerfully God is speaking to me and telling me that some things have to be changed. But with all the hard, I've got to be honest, There's no other place I'd rather be. There's no other city I'd rather minister in. There's no other church I would rather lead and wrestle with and teach and pastor. So my prayer for this church, Church of the Valley in the city of Santa Clara, is that I would not stop giving thanks for you. That I would not stop hearing about your faith. And I would not stop hearing about your love for God's people. And that we would be a people, God's people, his church, a people who are redeemed, that are known for their faith, for their love for God's people, and their identity is solely rooted in Jesus Christ, who gives us the position of sonship. And through his spirit gives us the ability to practice who we are in Jesus Christ. Worship team, why don't you come on up? And I just want to give some of you the opportunity to, to respond. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm just going to make something utterly, completely clear, and I want you to wrestle with it. 
Some of you don't have your position in Jesus. And I trust that God wants to draw you to himself. And so today in this place, maybe it's a simplistic during worship, you talk to God. You can even have your eyes open. There's no scripture that says shut your eyes. Well, there are, but you don't have to have your eyes closed. But would you just talk to God? You don't even have to speak out loud. Would you tell God that if you want to find your position in Jesus, that you would say to him, Lord, I've been trying to do it my own way, and I need you. Would you repent? Would you change direction? Would you follow him? Would you trust him with your life? And I promise you it won't be easy, but I promise you you don't have to be perfect. You just have to pursue the perfect one. We're going to receive an offering. If you came prepared to give, feel free to do that. We'll grab these two tables. It'll be right behind where I am, and I'm going to give this back to Jessica. But if you came prepared to give, I would encourage you, make that check to Church of the Valley if you want to, or you can do a cash offering, just put it in an envelope. But we're going to ask people to walk up here and drop it in these, in this table. And this is not, hear me, we don't do this to get people, oh, that person's giving. No, 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 that's not why we do this. We do this because this is an opportunity for us to worship. And the person that sits down and the person that stands up could literally be the exact same place spiritually. I give once a month. So there are three weeks a month I don't get up, just so you know. And so I want you to know that this opportunity to give is not out of compulsion. It is out of worship. And so as we play, as we worship, if you feel led, just come down to the middle and just drop off your offering in the plate and go back to your seat. But don't miss this opportunity to worship God with your soul, with your heart. And for some of you, this may be the morning where you give your life to the Lord. You trust that he wants to take it from you and that you would deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow him, and find your position in Jesus. God, I pray for these men and women. I thank you for who you are in them. I thank you that there are men and women today that are willing to trust you. God, for those of us who are not trusting you, I pray that, Lord, you'd do a work in our lives, that you would change our hearts, you would draw us to yourself. Lord, may we apply this word that we heard today to what we're doing, and may we allow our practice to catch up with our position. Thank you, Lord, for saving a sinner like me and making it so I could be holy, not in what I do, but in who I am. Lord, would you give me the, the willingness to trust you to allow my practice to catch up with that position? We pray this in Jesus' name.